Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. If you have been listening for a while, you may remember all the way back to episode 10. That was when you've met my cousin, Emily, and you've heard me mention her many times because she just keeps sending me amazing women and just has all these connections of ladies who are willing to share their stories and their stories have been so impactful. Tonight is no different. Tonight I have Robin as my guest and thank you, Emily, for introducing us. I so appreciate that. And ladies, I want to just start right away by letting you know that this is one of those episodes that's raw and it's heavy and it's hard. This story talks about suicide and we know that this can be very emotionally triggering for some of our listeners and want to make sure you are aware of that ahead of time. We tell these stories because we believe God is still good and we believe that there is hope in every story, no matter how deep the suffering. So while this might be a hard, heavy story, it's still a story of hope. Uh, so I hope you, I hope when the time is right, whether it's right now or later, that you will listen to what Robin has to share of the story that God is writing in her life. So Robin, thank you so much for being willing to do this, for being vulnerable, for opening up your story, especially for all the women who need to hear that they aren't alone. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Of course. Well, let's, let's start a little more lighthearted. Who are you? Where do you live? What do you, what's your life like today? And then we'll kind of go back and fill in the rest of the pieces. Okay. I'm Robin. Um, I'm the mama of nine kiddos. My oldest is 15 and the youngest are three and a half year old twins. We just moved back to the Birmingham area. And as listeners are going to learn, you have lived in, in many places. And so let's now let's now let's go all the way back to the beginning to where you were born and a, take us a little bit through your childhood and then into your adult life. Uh, my dad was in the Air Force. And so I was born in Biloxi, Mississippi, and mostly lived in the deep south, California for a little bit. Virginia was the longest I've lived anywhere. It was seven years. So growing up, my dad was in the Air Force and we moved all around. And then I met my husband when I was 19 and he was in the Navy. Um, his name is Albert. And so I moved all around with him too. I think this is like the 21st house that I've lived in. So a lot of moving in 37 years. <laughs> so for anyone who's a numbers person, like, okay, so how many kids do <laughs> does she have and how many states has she lived in and how many houses has she lived in? We have other many. <laughs> Yes. Nine kids, 21 houses. I don't know how many States, a little ping ponging back and forth between States. Yeah. So where did, where did God enter in, in all of these moves and these States? Yeah. So I grew up knowing facts about who God was and it was easy for me to believe they were true. I went to church and knew Jesus is the son of God and Jesus is God and these facts. But it was around when I was 18, actually on Mother's Day, I was baptized and 
I used to explain it as like, it was like the Lord gave me the tools for the building and then revealed the foundation to me. So I knew these facts about this is who God is and this is how he was born and this is what the Bible says and these different like materials for the walls and the doors and the windows. And then it wasn't until I was about 18 that I realized well, what I thought more fully of who Christ was. And I was actually teaching dance and the Lord used those little three and four year old girls that I was teaching dance to, to help grow my boundaries for what was acceptable for a young lady who's walking with Jesus. And just to convict my heart of these are changes I need to make in my life because I want these little girls to walk with Jesus. And so I need to be a better example for them. And in a lot of ways, he used those little girls to show me Christ. Like I said, walking with Jesus just came easily in some regards. I wasn't, I mean, of course I was rebellious, but I wasn't an outwardly rebellious person. (laughs) And so I'm the oldest child. I like following the rules. I like having boundaries. I like achieving for the sake of other people. And so I kind of made it all pretty easy. I met Albert when I was 19. We got married when I was 20 and started moving around the country together. I was actually at his baptism. It was before we were even dating. And so we were both like kind of newly walking with Jesus when we met each other, got married less of right out a year later. I remember the first time he said he was going to read through the Bible all the way through. And I think we probably had a baby already by then because we started out pretty quick. It was actually a friend of mine who said, I'm going to read through my Bible no matter how long it takes. And I thought that sounds like something I can do because I have a lot going on at home. Albert, though, is the one who mostly spurred me to grow in my walk with Jesus and be a better person. So we got married when I was 20. We had our first baby when I was 22. And we had nine babies in just under 12 years. The twins helped increase that number pretty quickly. (laughs) And so many women that probably just like fell out of wherever they're listening (laughs) right now. (laughs) Yes. You say that like it was just like no big deal. And as were they all easy, happy pregnancies and deliveries? (laughs) Uh, For the most part, my first one was a C-section and all the rest for V-backs and one epidural in the mix. And my first four were born in just under like one day shy of four years. Everybody's less than two years apart, except for the twins and the little guy right above them. I thought we were just thinking like, how in the world do you have time to read through the Bible? If you're raising (laughs) (laughs) for anybody that for anybody that's got a baby or a toddler, you're like, when go when can I have maybe audible? Like you could listen on audible, but when do you, when can you sit down with a book? (laughs) Well, audible wasn't even a thing when I first read through the Bible. And really it was like, you know what, if something matters, then I make time for it. And so this is something that matters. When I had that goal of like, I just want to read straight through it, no matter how long it takes, then that took out a lot of the self-condemnation of like, oh, I didn't read my three chapters today. I could just pick the Bible up and say, well, where was I last time? And now there are so many guides. There's an, an amazing Bible reading challenge that I've done for the last three or four years. And, um, you read through the whole Bible in a school year. That is intense though. That is much more reading than I did when I first started and when I had all babies, but really it's like, 
as long as we're spending time in the word, the Lord is with us and his word is living and active and it's going to be for our good. And so it's worth it to make the time for it. Absolutely. And so, you know, we've sort of left you where, okay, you've, you've married, you're baptized, walking with Jesus, you have nine children, and then we pick up with uh, another move, I think, or deployment. So many moves. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so with all of that, it was easy. We, we were walking with the Lord and we were seeking his guidance and trusting him. And Albert was a pilot for the Navy and he didn't make rank. So he left active duty and became a reservist. And with being a reservist, he had to have another job in addition to being a reservist. So we were in full-time ministry for a little while. And then we went into uh, being a contractor and in the, in that job with the reserves and with the contractor, he flew drones and worked with the special forces. And so he came home from one deployment and I have, this is for sure part of the story that Albert's greatest joy was helping people walk with Jesus. And he went on one deployment and he came home and he said, I cannot do this job anymore. This is not the way of Christ. And it doesn't line up with my convictions morally. And I can't be a part of it anymore. And this was, he had been in the Navy for over 17 years at this point. So I said, okay, well, what are we going to do then? So he started looking for a new job and Um, He actually had another deployment after that. And we prayed for rain. If it rained, then his group couldn't do their mission. And it rained the whole time. They couldn't do a single mission. It was amazing. And so he came home and he found this job with the railroad, with Norfolk Southern Railroad. And he applied and was hired right away. And he resigned from his contractor job and the military And we moved to Birmingham. He actually moved two months ahead of us and was there for training and looking for a house. Once he closed on the house, the kids and I drove down. So Albert had battled some depression for, for sure, for the last 10 years. And there had been traumatic events in his past that kind of came to light. And it was an intense spiritual battle for sure for the last 10 years, probably much longer than that. And before we got to Birmingham, I said, how are you feeling about us coming? Because I knew he was stressed with the hours that he was working and he just didn't have much availability, but he had deployed so much over the last few years that we had a pretty good system for communication. So he faithfully called me every single day on deployment. If he could, if he couldn't call, Sometimes he would send a uh, video message through text or when he was out on the boat for four months, he couldn't call very much. And he emailed me and sometimes me and the kids every single day. And so we talked, even though he was working 12 or 14 hours a day, but that's much different than having to interact in person with 10 other people when you do get off of work. And so he was anxious about us getting there, but he was also looking forward to us being settled in a home together again. And just to kind of paint the picture here, what year was this and how old were all the kids at this point? This was fall of 2019. And we were living in Virginia beach on Norfolk, Virginia, where we had been for about seven years. 
the twins had just turned one and uh, my oldest was 13. They actually had just had birthdays. So the twins had just turned one and my oldest had just turned 13. And I drove down from Virginia by myself with them, which was like 11 hours or something with nursing twins. It was a little crazy. We got there and he was working long hours and a job that it turns out he hated. And right away when we moved to Birmingham, I met two gals at our church and one of them had already had Albert over for dinner with her family. And we just connected immediately. They both had one had four kids, one had five kids, and they were just my kind of people. I remember telling them one time, I don't know what is so hard about this job because Albert has worked long hours and he's worked at jobs he hated. And we know one of the things with this job was that they paid for our move. And Albert had to work with the company for one year. Otherwise, he would have to pay back the move. And so that was in our minds. What was holding us in this job was if we quit before it's been a year, we have to pay back this move and we cannot afford to do that. With that, I was saying he's worked long hours. He's worked jobs that he hates. I don't know what is so much worse about this job. And we were here about three months. And it was the most, at that point, the most intense, saddest time of our life. As a couple, we were doing well and communicating and we were for sure in it together, but we were sad. The kids and I were sad that we had left Virginia. Albert was still gone all the time. We couldn't afford to do any extracurriculars. So we were doing school and then waiting for him to come home every day. And when he came home, he would eat dinner and go to bed or on his days off. They were in the middle of the week when we were trying to do school and he would be around some or go and run errands to get ready for the next week of work or take a nap. He just wasn't, he just wasn't not himself. And uh, there was one day in January that he was off. He'd been off the day before and he was taking a nap and got a phone call from work. And he said he had to, some errands to run to get ready for the week. And uh, he didn't come back. And that night I thought, well, maybe I misunderstood. Maybe he meant they were calling him into work and he was going to work overnight, which is not unreasonable. So I thought, well, I'll just wait and see what happens in the morning. And waited and in the morning didn't come home. And I started to call him and didn't answer. And I didn't know where he actually worked because he worked for the railroad. And so uh, my kids were like, well, mom, we have to go find him. And I said, where are we going to go? I don't know where he works. I can't call and say, can you look for a gray Honda? There are like a million of those. I don't even know our license plate number. There was, it was just very helpless. And Throughout the course of the last three months, we had both been just crying out to the Lord of our thought constantly was, Lord, we resigned from the military and from the contracting job in order to get out of the business of killing. And we didn't expect to be rewarded and we didn't expect to feel abandoned. And so what do you want us to do? What are we, what are we supposed to be doing? And we have all these children. 
whom we love that we have to provide for. And it costs in America, it costs. And it just felt like God was not answering or we couldn't hear him, or I'm not even sure what the right language is to describe, but that had been the battle for the last three months. So I asked a couple of my group of girls, it ended up being about six of them from church. Would you guys just pray? I remember sending out a text. Would you guys pray? I haven't been able to get a hold of Albert. And I'm not sure what's up. And a couple of them called me right away and were like, one of them said, you need to call the police right away. And I said, if I haven't heard from him by four o'clock, then I'll call. I don't know what to tell them. What information am I going to give them? Again, can you look for a great Honda? I don't know where to even tell you to look. And another one said, if he needs people to talk to, there are people in our church who can help him. A couple hours later, there's a knock on the door. And I went to the door and there's, I like kind of saw this one man, but our pastor was standing there. And I remember thinking, did they call him and tell him? that I can't get a hold of Albert and he's come to pray. This is so weird. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about, I don't want to be talked about. I don't, it, so it was just very confusing. And then the other man, I didn't know him at all. And then there was a police car in front of my house and a policeman walking around the yard. I didn't know what was going on. The detective, he said, I'm so sorry. We found your husband. And it was complete shock. My pastor, of course, was crying and he had met with Albert several times. And I asked, how? Was it suicide? And the detective said, yes. I can't fully explain this feeling of Never expecting that Albert would die by suicide, but also not being completely shocked. I knew he loved us. I knew, I know that he knew he was loved and needed and wanted and had a purpose, and all of the things that, when I have heard of other people's suicide, I have wondered, did that person know how great they were? I know that he knew. Well, Robin, I, I know there are so many listeners that have never experienced anything close to this, and they're getting a window into your world that you're being vulnerable and willing to share. And I know there are women listening who have had that knock on the door or something similar. And they, they know exactly what that feeling is. And the way you've described being like both shocked and not shocked and, and confused. And, and of course there are a million questions. Any, anytime anybody hears of a tragedy, your, your mind, I think, just automatically goes to questions. Why? What? When? What if? How? How could this have been avoided? What could have been done? What? It just, it's just a flood of questions, whether you're the one closest to the person or you're hearing about it and you're kind of, you know, in the outer circle, there's just questions. And 
probably the most important conversation and for our listeners too, is for you to share the questions that you asked God. You set the stage of here we are, we're serving you, we're walking with you, we're trying to live our lives and follow your guidance and what you would want us to do. And then, and then here you are at, at the doorstep. And I don't know if the questions to God for you started right that moment or later that day or evening or weeks later, or how they've changed. But I know that that is something listeners will relate to. For the first 15 months, I would say my questions were the same. I did not ever wonder why Albert did it. I've heard of other people say they refuse to ask why in that regard, like, why would he do this? Um, I felt like in some ways I knew he had great trauma in his background. I knew he had battled real demons for a long time. And I mean, this language is so weird, but in some ways I had peace in regards to him, but I questioned God. My first question was what? am I going to do? I've been a stay at home mom with my kids since I was pregnant with my first baby. I can't provide a living for 10 people. I'd have to go back to school and how in the world would I even do that? And what would I even do? (laughs) And I just remember over and over and over asking, what am I actually going to do? We'd only been in Birmingham for three months. We don't have any family in the area. My family is in Pensacola, Florida. His family is near Denver, Colorado. Our friends are all over the country and the world because they're all military. And then so many other questions of, God, you say that you're good. How is this possibly good for nine children to grow up without their dad? For me to have to raise them alone, that is not good. Those were the main things I would ask. The answer that God kept giving me was when Peter says in John 6, 68, this is my rough translation. Where else will we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Now, I would ask God, how, how can these things about you be true when what I see is so awful? awful is not even, these words are not even fitting to describe this true valley of death that I felt like we were thrusted into. And for a solid 15 months, I felt completely dependent on God. And like I was questioning, am I going to walk with you or not? Because this is horrible. And while I don't believe I don't believe that it was God's will that he would die in this way or that this would be our story. God did allow it. And how can God be good and allow such horrible things to happen? So I was questioning, am I, how can I walk with you? But where else the other options are worse. And so it was almost like a three-year-old who you tell to do something and they don't want to do it, but they obey begrudgingly like oh fine I'll walk with you because I have no other option and I'm not happy about it I was so angry and over time I came to realize 
I guess more to name. I felt like I either could be angry at God or I could be angry at Albert. And it felt like I had to be angry at one. And so I chose to be angry at God because he could do something about it. And I felt like if I were, if I allowed myself to be angry at Albert, what I didn't do not want to be a bitter woman. I do not want to hate Albert. I love him. (sighs) And so it felt safer to be angry at God because I knew that he could change my heart. And so I wrestled constantly with that of, Lord, I think I hate you and I'm completely dependent on you. And I don't know what to do with all of this. Or another thought was, God, you have sinned against me by allowing this to happen. Now, I know completely theologically that is wrong, but that was the feeling of my heart was I have been, of course, again, I know this is completely theologically wrong, but I felt like we have been trying to walk in obedience and raise these kids to walk with Jesus and to love each other well and to tell, to help other people walk with Jesus. And then you allowed all this horror to happen. This is not okay. And I'm not okay with it. And one of the things that I've come to see so intimately is that God is faithful to take our honesty and to hold it gently and to hold us gently. And that to Jesus is the right place to go because he is gentle and gracious and loving and kind and so patient not going to hurt his feelings by telling him how we actually feel. And he is the one who can change our perspective and how we feel. There was no like, okay, if I'm going to be a good Christian, I need to think this way. There was none of that. I was not able to do that, but God has been, has worked faithfully in my soul one of the little tips that I've shared over and over and over with friends, I read from Ann Boskamp years ago. Good grief. I can't remember the name of her book, 1000 gifts. And she encourages you to have a journal of thanks. I'm pretty sure my, one of my dearest friends told me about that book years ago. And I started this journal of thanks or just written in the midst of my journal. And it's so easy to thank God for the easy happy things in our life. And you can fill up a whole journal just with that. But he challenged me years ago to thank him for things that I wasn't really thankful for. So an example of that was one night, I think Albert did something that made me so mad. And I remember waking up and I was going to have my quiet time, but I could not wait to just rip him a new one on whatever the, I don't even know what the problem was, (laughs) but I was at that time in the habit of writing three to 10 things that I was thankful for before I even opened my Bible. And I started with, thank you for this conflict with Albert. Thank you for things around this conflict. Again, I can't even remember what it was, but by the time I had gotten to my magic number for that day, I wasn't angry anymore. And it was, I think part of that fruit of giving thanks in all things 
and seeing what the Lord does with it. And so with Albert's death, that was another time, not right away, months later, it felt like I was drowning after Albert's death or like you're drowning and you're repeatedly being hit in the head by pieces of the ship over and over and over. And at one point it was like the Holy spirit gave me a little burst of strength and said, what kind of woman do you want to be 10 years from now? And though I was still in the midst of wondering if I was going to walk with God or not and taking my children to church and being around people who walk with Jesus and knowing that he was the one completely providing for us so that I did not have to go to work and did not have to go back to school. And he, I knew he was completely providing for every need and still wondering if I, I still didn't like it. It's a weird place to be in your mind. But I thought, I want to be a woman who walks with God. And I know what that looks like. It is reading my Bible. It is giving thanks in all things. And so through the course of just practicing these disciplines that I know are good for my soul, even though they didn't feel good at the time, I started with just reading the Psalms because it's all that I could read and trying to give thanks. And at one point, the Holy Spirit prompted me to give thanks for details around Albert's death. And it was horrific. And it was healing in that I believe that's when God showed me that this wasn't his will for our life, but he did allow it. As you talk about healing, it's so multifaceted. There's so much that's going on for you. I know there's so much that had to be going on with all of your kids and to have so many children, there must be so many different personalities. And I know there are a lot of women listening who have not experienced this, but maybe somebody they love has. And there's kind of that question of how do I support somebody as the church body? How do we come along somebody who has just lost a loved one to suicide? Because you don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to do the wrong thing, but you also don't want to say and do nothing. And as I understand you were just blessed with this community that came alongside you. And for anybody who was paying attention to the chronology of your story, this all happened right before the world shut down with the COVID pandemic. Just to throw another layer into the the context (laughs) of the story and to sort of put that into perspective. Right. And, And you're brand new. Your brand, I mean, this is not a community that you have spent 20, you know, 20 years of your life in that everyone knows you and you have just this plethora of, you know, friends and family close by. This is brand new and what an opportunity for the church to show up and and they did. So what did they do? Yeah. So generally speaking, the church has some room to grow and how it cares for young widows and children. Our church was amazing. We had been there just three months. This happened in January. The world shut down in March. The Lord had connected us beforehand to just a random body of believers who are conditioned to give. When Albert very first went into the reserves, we were on staff with the navigators. And this is where I feel like God just connected us with so many people who he has just provoked to be so generous. Initially, the six girls from church already knew something was up. And so as soon as Father Michael knew what had happened. And I gave him permission to reach out to them. They were at my house. They took care of 
every single thing, them and our friends across the world. So initially, some of the things were people were sending groceries and two or three of the girls organized and managed all of the groceries that were coming in the house. And some of it was, it was so generous that I sent groceries home with them because it was far, I wasn't even eating. So it was far more than we would eat. And it was just an abundance of love that was able to be shared. But a group of people through the navigators, I believe it was the evening after Albert's funeral, they met together in a hotel lobby and said, let's talk about ways that we can support their family going on from here. And they're, they were all long distance. They still are, and they're still supporting us. And they did things. So the church provided meals. There were people in my house as frequently as I needed them to be there for the first probably two or three weeks. And being a military wife, I've had lots of time where I was handling things on my own for long periods of time. And so it took me obviously a few weeks before I remember my friend Beth was over and all the kids were being crazy and her kids were there and she was making dinner for us. And this is one of my very favorite things in the whole world is for people to come to my house and for them to bring the food. And I just started feeling anxious. And I said, I think you have to go. And thank the Lord. She was the perfect friend to be there for that time of like, she said, okay, let's eat. I'll send my kids home and I'll stay and help clean up and get everybody ready for bed. And it was exactly what I needed. And I think at one point there was even like a spreadsheet set up with, okay, who can be there from eight to noon? Who can be there from noon to four? Who? And so all of that was shut down and no one had their feelings hurt. This is something I've learned recently is that if you're going to be friends with a widow or come alongside somebody who is hurting, you have to have thick skin and a willingness to persevere because she might push you away, but still want you to be there. And so for me to be able to tell Beth, I need you to go. It didn't wound her. And she helped cleaned everything up and left and was back the next time I needed. I was able to interact with her. And so our church provided dinners a few times a week for the first three months. The navigator group picked up hiring somebody to do my lawn for about six months. They sent money for a house cleaner that I could hire and have come in. They set up a meal sign up. This is one of the great things that came out of COVID is that you can order dinner to somebody's front door. And so they had me pick like four restaurants in the area and give kind of a menu and people who I don't even know signed up and they sent a dinner every Thursday night and still until we just now moved back to Birmingham and even a handful of these are still going. Uh, we still get dinner once a week and groceries every Monday to cover. And it's a gift every single time. Other ways that people gave were gift cards. I still have a stack of gift cards that they just feel like love. I can't explain it. Even if some of them I have forgotten to use or we just haven't gone to that place yet. But I know somebody thought of us and sent this gift card and it's ready. It's like their love is ready for me whenever I remember to use it. I know from your story 
that you could probably fill up an entire episode just talking about the way people came alongside you and the way they loved you and things that they did for you financially, emotionally, logistically, and, and so forth. And there was something that you said when we had talked in the past about really, I think just encouraging the people out there who have a really hard time accepting help because this comes up so often, you know, I don't, I don't want to ask for help. And when it is offered to me, I really don't want to accept the help or I only want to accept a tiny little bit. And you said, you said something very profound. I know exactly what it is. You know what I mean? Okay, good. Please share. (laughs) Well, one thing is I've learned that. Okay. So again, with being a military wife is Albert was gone all the time. We, all of our husbands were gone all the time. Everybody was just doing it. You just learn how to do hard things because there aren't, there's just not a lot of support around because everybody's alone. And one time my girlfriend was coming over and Albert was deployed and probably the twins were little. And I remember her saying, Hey, I'm coming over. What's something I can help you with? And I said, Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think we're fine. We're just, you know, doing our thing. And she said, no, I receive a blessing when I help you. So give me something to do. If you don't give me something to do, you're stealing my blessing. And this was before Albert died and the Lord just tucked it in my heart. And so one thing for me as the widow was that almost every time someone has offered any sort of anything, I have tried to say yes, because for one, I'm not asking for it. And so it's not a manipulative thing on my part or in my heart. And for two, I know they'll receive a blessing and the church is told to take care of widows and orphans. And so when they offer to pay off my van, to pay for a house cleaner, to send groceries once a week, they are obeying the Lord and they will receive a blessing from God for their faithfulness and for their obedience. And I have thought the Lord will take care of me and my kids. And he has given specific opportunity to a lot of people. And it is their choice of whether they participate or not. It's so sweet for those who do both in relationship with me and even more sweet with the Lord. I just love that the first time we chatted and you referenced that and the friend that said, don't, don't steal my blessing. And I think about that all the time. I really do it. It's stuck. And I hope, I hope listeners out there who have a really hard time asking for or accepting help can hear what you just said. I think it's so profound. It really is wonderful to see and hear how the church body showed up and showed up well. Because like you said earlier, there are a lot of times where that is not the case. And, and hopefully people who are listening are encouraged and uh, convicted on, on how to come along widows and how to come along children who have lost a parent or who have lost both, both parents. So as I hear you talk, it, it certainly sounds like your relationship with the church is beautiful and strong and, and feeling great, but but what about your relationship with the Lord? I feel like the Lord showed me that he was carrying me through the prayers of the saints and the Holy spirit gave me an awareness of that, even through 
that 15 months of intense battle that I was able to recognize I cannot, I could not even pray. And I knew that we were doing generally doing well because of the prayers of the saints and that Jesus was answering those prayers and he was tenderly carrying us through. It's not even through, but in this deep grief, one of my friends uh, regarding the pandemic, she said, we're having a hard time with the quarantine and everything, but we have our husbands. How are you doing? And it was one of those pivotal moments where I, I kind of floundered through an answer and said, Oh, I mean, I think we're fine. I mean, we homeschool. So everything in our life was kind of the same and people were willing to be around us, which I was so thankful for, but it took me a few days to reflect back and to realize there had been so many times of just handling big things alone. I thought of an ice storm when I was pregnant with our second. And because of the ice storm coming into Oklahoma City, Albert had to fly the jet out. And so there we were, eight months pregnant with a one-year-old and an ice storm and Albert flying a jet out. Or if thunderstorms were blowing in, he would fly a jet out. Or anytime we had the stomach bug, miraculously, he was gone. (laughs) Or... There was one time he was gone for, he was walking out the door to be gone for 36 hours and one child was vomiting. And within 24 hours, six of us were sick and he left and came home early. And by that time, nobody was sick anymore. So I felt like I have done a lot of hard things alone. I was thankful that these weren't the first holidays that I was going to be doing for my kids alone. These weren't the first anniversaries and birthdays. And also so angry The the line that went through my mind was God was preparing me for this for the last 15 years. That feels so loving and so horrible. We attend an Anglican church and around this, this would have been a few months later, but uh, Ash Wednesday was coming and I remember that that would have been our second Ash Wednesday since Albert's death. And when the priest puts the ashes on your forehead and says something along the lines of from dust, you came and from dust, you'll return. And it was so personal because my Albert was dust. This is what we will become also through our church, I was able to feel so connected to him and so connected to the Lord on Easter though, specifically as of course, everything is celebrating the resurrection of Christ and life in eternity with Christ and knowing that's where my husband is. And so much of our service talks about worshiping with the saints. And I felt like the Holy spirit gently held me by the shoulders and said, We've been going this way on this journey, and that is okay. There's room for all of this, of accusing God falsely, of wrestling, of hating, of just hurt and brokenness, and now we're going to go this way. And it felt like in my body, a 90-degree turn, like, and a relief. and. 
I have described it since then as just a shift in the grief because it doesn't go away. There is no, in my experience, there is no getting through it. It just shifts and it has shifted again since then. But that Easter Sunday was a pivotal shift. The Lord started to rebuild me. This sort of trauma, there's like a recovery from it. For me, it was being able to name, this is who I was with Albert. I was 19 when we met and 20 when we got married. And so I grew up married to him. We grew up together. And so what do I love? Because he loved it. Well, do I still love that? I felt like after that Easter that God gave me permission to say, who are you? And what do you want to do? And what do you want to be? All of this in line with walking with Jesus. So it's not like I ran off down this other road, but that he has been steadily rebuilding and just helping me to see who he's made me to be. One of the things that we loved to do was host. He loved to help people walk with Jesus. And I loved having people in our home. And that is something that I'm still trying to figure out how to do because making the food and holding the conversation and wrangling the children is very exhausting. (laughs) It is much better as a tag team, but it is something that still gives me life. And so how can I incorporate that into my life now? It looks much different. And the Lord is helping me rebuild these things, these desires of my heart that he gave to me in Albert, and now he's giving them to me in a new way. It's truly amazing how much God sees us for who we are and all the details that he is interested in and cares about. And not just for you, but for all of your children, his children. And this, I know this could be an entirely separate episode that we could spend an hour plus talking about their journeys. And, and maybe some, maybe someday some of them will be sharing their story here in the future. But for the women out there who are not only trying to navigate their own grief for whatever reason, but are trying to help their kids navigate their grief, and particularly those who have multiple children who probably have different personalities and different communication styles and different ways of grieving and grieving in different timelines. For 10 of you to be in the home together, grieving in different ways at different at a different pace, trying to navigate that, it, if you could give one piece of, I don't know if even advice is the right word, but one, one piece of understanding or of encouragement or of hope to other women who are in that similar boat, what would you tell them? Um, one thing that I did was I have not hidden my grief from my children. I feel like it has been important for me to say we're grieving together and to acknowledge we're grieving different people in a way I'm grieving the loss of my husband, which they don't know that grief and they're grieving the loss of their dad. And I don't know that grief but I'm willing to be in it with them and they're willing to be in it with me to an extent and to be willing to engage my kids all differently 
even my baby boys who were 17 months old when their daddy died grieve. The Lord has sustained me and given me the energy and the frame of mind to be able to engage each one of them differently. And I think that has been so important because they have all grieved, even with that, with the babies, they're not babies anymore. They're three and a half, but they grieve so differently from each other. It has been so important and it's been so unifying for us, for them to know my mama is a safe place and I want to be that for them. And I want to be the one who's having these conversations. And I know that I view suicide differently than a lot of other people. And so I want them to be coming to me with their questions and with their thoughts and with their pain and all of those things so that I can bring them to truth. I think it's so helpful that you can share these, these nuggets. And I know that these questions, you're only scratching the tip of the iceberg. So, and I have just a couple more quick questions as we prepare to wrap up, but I want to make sure listeners know that if you're wanting more, if you're, if you're wishing that there were, was more spoken on this, or you're just wanting to connect with Robin she will connect with you and and you can email me and that will be in the episode notes and I will get you connected with her. Robin, I wanted to ask for you to speak briefly to the people out there who have never lost a loved one to suicide. They've, they've never experienced anything like this. I guess the question is what, what do you wish our society understood better? about suicide? I wish they understood specifically in our case that Albert was a good man. He loved Jesus and he loved his family and he knew he was loved and Satan is horrible and he holds nothing as precious. This was another of those resounding thoughts in my mind that if he would be so wicked as to try to take away the daddy of nine children, then he holds nothing as precious. And we need to take spiritual warfare seriously. That is so profound. And I hope everyone hears that we need to take spiritual warfare seriously. We absolutely have an enemy that won't hold anything back. Just like you said, nothing is precious to him. Nothing is sacred to him. He's here to, to destroy. So we've, We've gone through your story that certainly is heavy with grief and heavy with suffering and heavy with questions and a journey with God. But we we say every story on this episode is a story of hope, of real hope. And and for anybody out there who's not quite seeing how there is hope in this story, how is there hope in your story right now? It's been hard for me to fight for hope also. (laughs) So it's not wrong to wonder how to have hope for the future. But one of the things I feel like God has been teaching me is that there have been multiple hard and big things that have happened since Albert's death or not happened in my life. And I know that the Lord is specifically training me right now for my initial response to not be to curse God 
or to want to run away or to hide. But for my first response to be, I know I can trust the Lord with this. He does actually work all things for good in his time. That might be when I'm in glory and it will, my life will still be for his good. And even when I'm disappointed, as I have felt disappointed with God through all of this at various times, my soul knows that this is true, that God will work these things for good and that he has not abandoned us. My feelings have to be taken to the Lord and I can know what's true, even when it's in conflict with what I feel. Ladies, I hope you write down that last sentence that Robin just said. That is, and that just hits the nail on the head for almost every story I've ever heard from every woman. And I I think that everyone listening relates to that in some way. So Robin, I want to, I want to thank you so much for being willing to share this story, to, to go back through the chapters, to be raw, to be vulnerable and, and just really open up. And, and as we've mentioned, there's, there's so much more that can be said. And I know if you were sitting across the table at coffee with another woman who is grieving in a similar way that there, you could talk for hours, days, and that you are absolutely willing to be a, a resource and a contact person for anybody listening who just needs a friend who understands someone who gets it and can speak some encouragement and hope into your story as well. With that, Robin, I'd love to ask for you to pray for the listeners and pray that their stories, that they can find that hope in their stories, no matter, no matter how painful, no matter how hard. Of course. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these women who have taken time to hear the story you're writing in my life and in the lives of my children. God, I thank you for faithfully carrying me. I thank you for this deeply painful story that you've given me to share with others. I pray, God, that you would be near. As your word says, you are near to the brokenhearted. That is true. I pray that the women listening would feel your nearness, that the cry of their heart would be that they would just know that you're close, that they can picture you in the midst of their trials and know that you are lovingly carrying them, walking beside them, leading them. I pray that God, that you would give them an image of where you are in their deepest pain and that you would give that little glimmer of hope. And it might not be in this life that these things are made new, but Jesus, you are making our hurt and our wounds and our pain new in glory. And it's worth it to walk with you through this life for the sake of eternity with Christ. I pray that you would encourage and sustain each lady through their daily struggles and their daily life and energize them for the work that you've given them to do. Jesus be near. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Robin. Thank you. 
Thank you, ladies, so much for tuning in. Thank you for listening to this story. And we hope you join us next time for our next story. Until then, may God just bless you with hope and encouragement. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women. Women.